In fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks and we're all right. Hello everybody, this is your host, Justin Hunt, Green Lantern of Sector 2814 Highland Division, and you're listening to the Kilted Lantern Podcast. Now, it's been a long while since I've been able to um, do an episode. I I recorded this a while back, but due to some issues, it it got rather complicated. Instead of of boring you all with the long explanation of what exactly has been going on, I have written you a limerick. My name is Justin, I've failed you. Professionalism no can do. My stuff took a crap, so my time it did sap. If you're still listening, I thank you. And now that we got that out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to just get started right in on our episode's usual segments. Now, since it's been so long, since I've been able to put out an episode. I mean, I missed an, pretty much an entire month, and I, again, I apologize for that. I'm going to kind of roll a couple of uh, issue things together here. Um, we're going to have our usual kilts and cosplay segment um, with nothing particularly added to it. And then we're going to have the uh, usual interview time, which, by the way, I was able to interview... Uh, Karen Loveless, Jason Turner, and Ryan Mercer again, and there were some technical issues that I was having with that. Um, It was in the process of uh, attempting to patch up what I already had equipment-wise, but was unable to, so I had to edit a lot out due to technical problems there. And then I had an issue involving time zones where I made a big mistake, and Ryan came in a little bit late, so if it seems like he's being a man of few words, it's because I had to edit his segments in where I could. And again, I'd like to apologize to you, Ryan, specifically for that. I appreciate the fact that you've been taking the time to listen to the show and agreeing to be on. And Karen, you got a great voice. And Jason, you, sir, are a wellspring of knowledge. But let's go ahead and continue on with our segment. All right, for your kilt tip for this uh, episode. This is nearing the time when wedding season starts really going into full swing. Now, kilts are nothing new at weddings. They're becoming more popular, yes, but they're certainly nothing new. However, there's a distinction that needs to be made when you're dressing wearing a kilt at a wedding. First of all, it's best to ask if you're a guest is it welcome? If you're in the wedding party, the same rule applies. Is it welcome there? Because the kilt makes you a little bit of a center of attention from time to time when no one else is kilted. Now, if you're part of a Scottish wedding, usually the kilt is a definite. Um, But if you're not, it's best to ask ahead of time. The other thing that you need to look at, and this is more specific regarding wedding, is what you should wear with the kilt. Now, there are some weddings where a Renfair grade uh, ghillie shirt, maybe a vest or a waistcoat, in those cases, can be worn with it. Um, 
good pair of kilt socks, maybe boots if you're looking at the Ren Fair grade. But in most cases, you need to try something a little bit more traditional looking so you don't just stand out as though you're wearing a costume at said uh, wedding. Now, traditionally for daytime attire, and again, I'm talking daytime as in before 5 p.m., you're going to probably end up wearing some kind of tweed jacket. Um, an argyle is always a classy choice. And again, you can actually Google search the names of these jackets to get images of them. Because if I were to take the time to describe them all to you, this would be a very long segment indeed. But again, the Argyle is the classic choice. It is the most commonly seen kilt jacket, aside from perhaps maybe the Prince Charlie, which we'll get to here in a second. Um, and then depending on the color and material that it's made out of, it can be super formal, like black tie, oh, I'd say black tie, not necessarily super formal but like black tie tuxedo grade kind of formality all the way down to I just want to look a little bit dressier than normal like you can even get away with wearing it without a tie at all um, I usually wear mine with a straight tie because I'm not a big fan of bow ties um, I have a gray tweed argyle with a matching waistcoat um, and then again, wearing the vest or waistcoat with it that's um, a good option to do as well to help keep it you know dressed up more um, but you can also wear an ascot with it. I also do that from time to time. Um, if you're not a big fan of bow ties on the for more formal end of it, and again, that's more for the evening kind of stuff. So you, when you're wearing it with like a black argyle or some other color that's appropriate for nighttime, um, you can wear the, uh, or at least called a roche tie. Um, some people refer to it as being a... Uh, cravat, even though it's technically a form of foreign hand tie. It's complicated. I'll spare you those details too. Neckwear is kind of a thing for me. <clears throat> Excuse me. But anyhow, but yeah, the Argyle is usually a solid pick. And again, for daytime, I recommend uh, colors like gray, brown. You can go brighter colors if it's a more festive occasion and bright colors are you know, going to be seen at it. But I usually don't recommend that for weddings because, again, it takes the focus off of the important people. Um, you can also go with a Crail jacket that's a little bit more suited for um, American kilt wearers because it has a more traditional um, blazer cut to it. And it uh, is more frequently worn without the uh, waistcoat or vest, although it does look good with one as well. And it can be dressed up much the same way as an Argyle. Um, the Wallace jacket, again, is another good one for that. Um, and those are your really your core day jackets. And again, this is not an all-inclusive list. But now let's say you're doing the uh, wedding and you're actually in the wedding party and everybody else is wearing tuxedo type stuff. If, again, always ask first, but or even if you're asked, you'll more than likely end up in a... Uh, Prince Charlie Cotee and Westcott combination. Now, the Prince Charlie is a uh, alternative to the tail coat. It can actually dress up to white tie, um, but you will rarely ever see it anything lower grade than a, with a bow tie in a tuxedo type environment or black tie as it's termed. Um, the uh, Westcott that's worn with it is usually black or white according to the appropriate colors. 
and it has a nice little cutaway look. Now, I'm not a big fan of the Prince Charlie personally. However, you can't really beat it as it pertains to its popularity for formal attire. In fact, most kilt rental places, if you're going to be renting an outfit for your kilt, you're gonna more than likely end up with a Prince Charlie coatee. Um, really, it's the go-to formal jacket for most people. And there's nothing wrong with it. There really isn't. It's a very nice, stylish type. It kind of has that 1920s and 30s flair to it. And it just looks really nice with a lot of things. Um, then let's look at uh, other options in terms of formal jackets. Um, more specifically, um, other forms of coatee are appropriate. There's certain types of shell jacket that can work, but I'm not going to focus on those. I'm going to go straight into the next round, which is doublets. Now, doublets are more often than not in modern context worn by pipe bands. So if you don't want to look like part of the band, you might want to steer clear of it unless that's the grade of dress that the wedding party is wearing and you're in it. Um, I personally am a big fan of the Montrose doublet, which is a double-breasted style jacket, and it kind of cuts off flat around the bottom. But there are other forms of doublet that are more commonly seen, because the Montrose is a very formal kind of jacket. You usually only see it worn with a jabot, um, and there's usually some kind of rough ruffles around the cuff. I have seen it worn with the top flaps more opened up with a bow tie or even a straight tie, and it, and it can work but it, it's really hard to dress that one down. Especially when you figure that it's either made out of uh, Braemar wool or velvet and any of the various dark jewel tones. Um, so again, the doublets, are, that particular doublet especially is really hard to dress down. Then there's the single-breasted Kenmore doublet. That's a little bit uh, on the formal side as well. It's not as formal looking or as military looking as it were. Um, as the Montrose, it's a solid pick if it's a highly formal wedding. And again, only if you're in the party and that's what people are going to be wearing. In fact, usually if that kind of thing's being worn by the wedding party, it's usually just the groom and everybody else is in uh, Prince Charlie's or um, Argyle's. Um, and, and that's a nice pick there, again, for a very, very formal. Now, if you're looking for something a little bit less formal, there's two doublets that really come to mind. One is called the regulation doublet, and it's what's usually worn as part of the dress mess, uh, the mess dress. I always mess that up, I apologize. But the uh, mess dress with the uh, British military uniforms of the appropriate regiments. And it kind of has the cut similar to a Prince Charlie coatee, but it has things called tashes around the bottom. Now, tashes kind of look like pocket flaps that are around the bottom of your kilt which sounds way weirder than it actually looks. So again, again, look these up. And that's usually worn with a nice waistcoat. Um, you're more apt to find the uh, regulation doublets and um, brighter colors, um, red specifically, because of its military associations. Um, but black is another really nice option. It often has a little satin trim around the outside of the lapels, so it has a nice tuxedo-y grade kind of feel to it. Um, I've seen it worn with a straight tie. If it's a nice solid color silk tie, that can look nice. Um, bow ties are the more common thing to be seen with it. And, and it just is a very nice level of formality for that grade. And now, these, again, these jackets are usually more or less worn in the evenings. Um, you can get away with the uh, regulation doublet 
um, even if you're not in the wedding party, so long as you're not overdressing the groom or the bride. Um, now, the other jacket, and this one here is really well known for its um, flexibility in terms of formality because you can wear it with or without the waistcoat. You can wear it with a straight tie or a bow tie or even a jabot. And it looks good with all of these options. Um, and that's called the Sheriff Muir Doublet. Now the Sheriff Muir Doublet, um, again, it usually has a flat bottom waistcoat. You don't really want to wear it with the peaked bottom waistcoat. Yes, the points on the bottom. And that's because the way it's cut, that would stand out lower than the jacket itself. And it looks really off. Um, and the jacket itself usually doesn't button, or if it does, it has a little closure all the way up at the top, and then the rest of the buttons on the front are non-functioning. And that's because it's actually styled after a 19th century jacket that was worn by the military, a shell jacket as it were. And those were, by British military regulations, required to have their top buttons done. But that was the only button that got any mention in the regs at that time. So, therefore, it kind of became a thing to only button the top button, on, especially during warmer times. And it is a rather comfortable doublet to wear, I dare say. I'm in the process of trying to track down one for myself. Um, usually it's made out of black material. I've seen them in various colors of velvet. Again, usually all darker jewel tones. I wouldn't mind having one in a uh, nice blue or something like that. But I digress on that point. Now... Again, that's a rather fancy doublet. I have seen one made in tweed before. I believe it was worn by a Matthew Newsom from the uh, Tartans Museum. He is a member on X Marks the Scott. You could probably look it up if you just entered in tweed sh sheriff weird doublet. And it, it really is an animal all its own in terms of its levels of formality and its variance and functionality. But that's another really solid option for formal attire if you're actually looking for an alternative to the Argyle or the Prince Charlie because of how easily this one is dressed up or down the Sheriff Muir really is a good way to go. Now the other details as it pertains to dressing appropriately for a wedding if you're not in the wedding party again you want to be a little bit more toned down if the wedding takes place before 5 o'clock p.m. that is uh, that would be uh, 1700 military time if you're in a country that observes that more closely. Um, then you're looking at something um, else that needs to come into play. The type of sporin. You know, you I've discussed the types of sporins before, so I'm not going to focus too much on that. But there's three kinds of sporins that you're going to see. You're going to see the all-leather variety. That's generically referred to as a day sporin. Brown leather day sporns are very common and have various forms of bits and bobs and doodads attached to them, and, you know, for being the tassels and embossing, embroidery, you name it, they're all over it. Um, black leather is also super common. Um, and if you're going to wear it to a wedding, because it's in the daytime, it looks best with tweeds. Now, a nice plain black leather sporn can look really nice in a dressy occasion. But more traditional are your firstborns. Um, your firstborns are considered the formal attire. Um, I've been known to even wear mine with day wear for weddings to fancy it up a little bit. Um, Calfskin's a good option, especially if you're looking for something more on the affordable range. Um, something that's been popular over the last decade or so has been rabbit firstborns. I don't think like them too much. I think they look a little puffy for me. 
but if you like the look of them, you're the one wearing this. So that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna do you. And the nice thing about the rabbit skin, as opposed to the calf skin with the hair on, is the variety of colors. Um, because rabbit skin's easier to dye, you can get all kinds of different colors out of it. Rabbits come in more colors than calves, generally speaking. Um, I like a nice spotted calf or a white calf, but I've seen black and brown solids. Um, and the rabbit fur, you can get grays, browns, um, spotteds, you name it. I even seen one that kind of looked like a skunk because the way the white and black came together, it was, it was interesting. So if you're looking for a variety, you can look at the rabbit skins. And they're also considerably cheaper than some of the more expensive furs like seal skin and so on and so forth. And then you, you're also less likely to deal with people that are, you know, anti-fur people having major issues. But, you know, you, again, you do you. I can't tell you how to operate on that. And then the third type of sporin that is considered the peak of formality. And you only typically see this worn with um, either pipe band uniforms. So again, we're talking doublets again. So we're either talking high dress or black tie. This is the only time you usually see these. So it's usually only seen in the evenings or with pipe bands. And that's the sporin molek or the hair sporin. Now, now we're talking the kind that has the long horse hair on it. You've probably seen it in a million cartoons. A lot of times they have big ornate uh, cantles. That's the top closure area. Made out of metal, decorated leathers, what have you. But that long hair sporn is the peak formality. So again, unless you're in that wedding party or it's that kind of formality grade, not something you typically want to wear. But again, you're going to do you. You are going to do you. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about here and this is where it starts getting into the nitpicky grade of uh, wedding attire. And again, this is something that's entirely on you. But the concept of diced, tartan, triced, and solid color kilt hose. Now, solid color kilt hose go anywhere in the uh, dressy spectrum up to black tie slash tuxedo grade. Now, the black tie tuxedo grade with solid colors you usually want the plainer ones with that, but with the day wear, having the nice uh, chunky knits and things of that nature, those look really nice. Um, but once again, once you get into the higher formality, you want the more plain kind because your goal is to look sleek and elegant and not overblown, so it looks like you should be in with the pipe band. Um, that's why I advise against the wearing of spats with your shoes unless you're going to be in a situation where you need to look military, regimental, or, you know, pipe bandish, as it were. Now, diced kilt hose are the kind that's commonly seen as looking checkered. Those are usually reserved for black tie and higher. And I say usually because, again, there's a lot of variation here, and I've seen them successfully worn in less formal attire, but always in the evening, though. Now, or again by pipe bands. Um, they come in an array of colors. You can have customs made. My goal is to get a nice uh, ash gray and tan pair sometime because I think that would look just absolutely stunning with my Ferguson weathered kilt. Um, but I digress again a little bit on that one. Um, but red and white is considered the traditional standard. You cannot go wrong with red and white uh, diced hose. Red and black is nicer, especially by American standards, where we like being a little bit more subdued than all that, typically. 
and those are a nice option there and they go with anything because again that's the traditional two colors that you're going to see in the dice hose um and again you can get them custom colors to match your various kilts or outfits or what have you um neutral colors are good for that too if you just want to be a little bit different but still look good with everything else you have because we're talking about a hundred dollar pair of kilt hose if you're having them made for you um, you can find them a little bit cheaper if you start poking around online and you're looking for traditional colors. Red and green is actually another big one, especially with pipe bands that you can get. Um, you more often see those in uh, hose tops, however, which are their own thing. We're not going to discuss that because, again, unless you're piping. And if you're a piper and you need uh, fashion advice, you can contact me. We can talk or you can just check with local kilt, uh, pipe and drum bands. Now... The next thing about that is, is the triced hose. Now, triced hose is very seldom seen because the triced hose are just super complex to make and they're very expensive. But that's checkered, but it's checkered in a three color pattern, which is very, uh, again, unusual for being seen. And you typically see those in colors like red, white, black, red, white, green, red, white, what have you, but usually red and white are the base and you get third color in there. But I've seen them in all varieties of colors, um, usually made to match the kilts. Um, and those again are super fancy, super formal looking kind of hose. I've seen them worn with day wear and they can be done, but it's tricky. And then we come to the third one. Now the third option here, this one is called tartan hose. Now it's usually depicted as being a diced hose with a, an, with an additional line of color that runs through it, like a pinstripe of color that kind of crisscrosses through the pattern. And usually that's done in the primary colors of the tartan now. That's why they're often called tartan hose. Um, the more commonly seen pattern that's similar to it is argyle. Um, and that's an American thing to call them the argyle sock, I believe. But nonetheless, just to give you an idea of what you're looking at there. Now, these types of hose are really nice in terms of looking good and formal with your, if you're wearing them with the right kilt to look good with that pattern that you have and the colors. Again, they come in all colors and can be custom made, what have you. But you always want those to match your kilt because they look really off if they don't. Now, again, you're going to do you, but that's, that's my take on those. And the nice thing about those is they can be worn with smart or dressy day wear all the way up through white tie. That's really your options on that. Now, with all of those things in mind, that's gonna help you be guided in how to go about dressing in your kilt for a wedding. Just remember, gentlemen, keep your hats off your head unless you are outdoors. Um, Balmoral and Glengarry hats are the traditional hat. Tam O'Shanter, if you want, would use a some say they're different from Balmoral's. Others argue that they're not. Broad bonnets are an option, but they look a bit anachronistic with modern attire. At least that's my take on it. Um, uh, Glengarry's are a bit more military looking. Um, Balmoral's are what I prefer. But again, you're going to do you. Um, and again, you want colors that'll be kind of neutral with everything you got going on there. Um, I might do a separate segment about them some other time so I can spare you a bunch of details right now. Alright, now, your cosplay tip. Now, 
the cosplay tip for this particular week, uh, particular episode, I apologize, for this particular episode, it's more or less a, a really commonly found problem with uh, costumes is finding the right footwear. Now, I wear a size 13 extra wide. That's hard to find in modern shoes, not impossible. I have a friend that wears like, I think a size 17 and, and he has to have all of his shoes custom made just about. Um, so he doesn't want to hear me ever say that my 13s are hard to find. But with cosplay, footwear is always difficult. You have to find the right kind for the right cosplay. Um, my wife in particular is very, very hung up on the appropriate footwear for her Sailor Scout cosplays. She doesn't do them, but when she sees them, she, that's the, one of the first things she looks for. It doesn't make or break the cosplay in those cases, but at the same time, if you can get the exact footwear, it always brings it up to the next level. But you should always try to find something close if you're trying to replicate something. Or you at least want something that looks good. I'm actually in the process of attempting to find the perfect shoe to wear with my Kilted Lantern costume. Um, my Medieval Lantern, I actually just wear a pair of replicated 13th century nobility shoes. Um, which are stupid expensive. So you're going to look into footwear. You're going to be spending some money, especially if they're custom made. Now... Some options for you if you're just looking for something to knock about a convention in or if you just need a less expensive alternative are things called boot jacks. Um, boot jacks are nice because they slip over your foot and they look like a full boot. And there are many, many patterns available for free online on how to make yourself a pair of boot jacks. Um, other options when you're wearing armor is to do like sabatons which are an armored type of foot covering, and you can cover up modern shoes with those as well. I'm not gonna lie and say that I haven't done that because, oh yes, I have. Um, you can oftentimes get a pair of slippers and dress them out to look like something else. Um, again, and a lot of this is subject to, subject to what you're trying to cosplay, mind you. But the important thing to remember about footwear is don't Beat yourself up if you can't get it just right. Footwear is complicated. Footwear is a hard thing to do. One of the best Green Lantern cosplays I think I've ever seen in my life. This gentleman had the uh, Mezco action figure version of Jon Stewart's uniform replicated in full size, but it didn't have attached feet, so he had to go out and he bought himself a pair of neon green rain boots. And so long as you don't look close enough to actually see the uh, logo imprinted around the top band, they're actually very convincing. Uh, and, and, you know, here's to them for going that extra step to find them. Because I don't even know where you'd find neon green rain boots. At least not in adult sizes, anyhow. Um, and then there's also the option for cloth coverings. Now, one of the bigger issues that you're going to run into is if you are portraying a character that goes barefoot, because many conventions and ren fairs and other festivities, they don't want you barefoot because if you step on something, it's on them. If you injure your foot, it's on them. If you're in a restaurant and you drop something hot on your foot or something gets knocked over onto your foot, it's on them. So you have to make sure you're being 
you know, knowledgeable and honoring the convention center's rules regarding footwear. Now, most places are perfectly fine with sandals, and most places are perfectly fine with flip-flops and things of that nature. Um, so here are some of your options. I've seen this successfully done on a few occasions where people will actually take um, a pair of flip-flops or thongs or whatever you want to call them and remove the top uh, foot harness section where it's just the soles. You can also buy just plain soles for this type of thing too, by the way. They're available online. And they will take the same grade adhesive that they use on their latex masks and coat the foot and coat the uh, footbed of the sole with that glue and they'll glue it to the bottom of their foot and that kind of gives the illusion of being barefoot. Um, I've also seen them held in place by fishing line, you know, the nice transparent fishing line. That's a nice option as well as various skin tones of uh, yarn or thread or what have you. Um, one of the smartest things they've ever seen is actually done by a uh, Hobbit cosplayer that I've met where they take a pair of sandals and they sew fake hair across the top. You can do the same thing with prosthetic skin, hypothetically. And what that does is it makes it look like you're, again, like you're barefoot with just the soles of the sandals on there. Um, another thing to make sure that you always want to do with footwear, and this is from somebody that has uh, calves of substance, I'll put it that way, is make sure you measure the, di the circumference of the thickest part of your calf that footwear is going to come up over and compare it to the footwear in question because you want to make sure that it's actually going to come all the way up before you go buying a hundred and some odd dollar pair of uh, shoes or even the 70 to some dollar range. I know for my uh, Star Trek cosplay I had to uh, track down a pair of side zip boots to, that looked something like what was being worn with the uh, Maroon Monsters and on the regular uniforms in the original series, even though mine will be partially covered in spats because I'm going with a Highland uh, variation on it. Because, you know, Kilted Lantern. That's how I go. That's how I roll. Now, with that being said, though, we're going to go ahead and we're going to move forward into our time of discussion. Now, our time of discussion focuses on the uh, problems faced by aging nerds. Um, so I put out an open call and I got lots of responses and I thank you all. I'm sorry if I didn't select you, but I had to go with people that I thought would have a good chemistry together. And, and these three I think really did. Um, but I, it was originally part of a uh, panel I did called Hipster Problems and then later Hipster Problems 2.0 because this is things we were into before they were cool. Well, I branched it more into this and I think it led to a fun discussion, and again, I had to chop it all up, so if it's a little choppy, I apologize, but I tried really hard to maintain the actual, I, I tried hard to maintain the actual integrity of the interview. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Justin, and I'm here today with a couple of people, and we're going to discuss the subject of what it's like to be aging nerds. And that's not just to make fun of us in our current ages. It's talking about the actual changes that have happened in the nerd scene over the course of our times. All right. Would you guys like to introduce yourself? 
My name is Jason Turner. I'm from Northeast Ohio, and I'm in my early 40s, and I've been a nerd since the 80s. I'm a cosplayer, going to many conventions. I'm a miniature war gamer, lover of science fiction, and movies of all types. Wow. I feel like I can't talk that. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, Karen Loveless. I am from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I love action figures, which is a thing I've only gotten into for the past years. Been a nerd for as long as I can remember. Um, also like to cosplay. Like a bunch of movies and sci-fi, just like you. Um, and yeah, just like to have a good time with it. Uh, Ryan here, uh, PhD in behavioral psychology and uh, avid comic book fan for over 30 years. All right. Well, that sounds like uh, this could be a fun recording session. Now, this uh, particular subject started off as a uh, panel that I tried to do at a smaller convention that did all right, except for the fact that I was surrounded by neonatal nerds. Um, so I think it's going to be a little bit better with some people that have been around the block a little bit. Um, what have you heard about me? <laughs> well, maybe not that kind of around the block, but this ain't that kind of show. So it's going to be uh, dodgy. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kicking. I'm kicking. It's all good. <laughs> all right. So the first question I have for tonight. Now, you both profess being nerds pretty much lifelong um, for the most part. Um, I know I'm a lifer. I don't ever remember being normal. And I don't ever want to be. Now, were you guys uh, picked on at all for your uh, interests or hobbies? Uh, yes, actually, uh, growing up in uh, rural Ohio to be a fan of science fiction or comic books in the late 80s and early 90s was not a good thing for your social standing. I didn't exactly get put into lockers or anything, but I was definitely low on the social totem pole. Mm -hmm. Karen, how about you? I I I've, uh, was more of a chameleon, I guess, in some social areas. Uh, like I, I don't know. I don't think I hit my nerd peak. I would say until maybe when I started becoming more comfortable with just being me uh when i was okay. like somewhere in my 20s but like uh when i was in high school my all my friends you know sat around we would play magic together or well they would play magic together and i would watch <laughs> and like take the cards that i thought was cool <laughs> mm -hmm. and yeah i mean i don't know i sometimes i would get a little teased but didn't really care like, at some point, I just went, you know what, if you like me, you like me. If you don't like me because of this thing, then, you know, screw you. Yeah, that, that's a, actually a really good attitude to have in the general sense. Um, it took I me a while to get small, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I had a small tribe of friends, um, and I tended to out-nerd them considerably. I actually went through my entire senior year of high school dressed in uh, Renaissance fair grade clothing nice. <laughs> just because I just barely got away with it by the school dress code. And so I not only had some students poking at me, I had the uh, school itself 
occasionally. And yeah, that that, that uh, rural Ohio thing, uh, Northwest Ohio, and I'm about two hours from anything of note. Huh. I went to yeah. a, I went to a creative performing arts high school and was there for band. Uh, I'm a photographer, so I was I, I, I'm a photographer these days, and that's how I got my start was photographing in high school. Um, so I was in the arts program for that, and I was also a thespian, so I could dress up, and nobody really thought two things about it. <laughs> I, I can just make get away a really, with it. Really great joke there, but anyway. <laughs> hey, hey, we all know that thespian uh, joke. <laughs> yes, I know. That's why I decided not to. I didn't want to bring back bad memories. Um, I'm used to it at this point. Okay, well, insert joke here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, that being said, I guess the next question I have is, what do you guys think of this open acceptance of so much of what we got uh, crap for back in the day, or? in your case, uh, Karen, stuff that you saw around that just wasn't readily accepted. It's, I feel like we opened, I feel like our generation just kind of opened the way. <laughs> I mean, isn't it people our age now that are making the movies and the TV shows and whatever that, that were also nerds when we were younger. It's just, they, they paid the way for Like they paid the way for the kids that are coming in now that think they're hot stuff because they know a little bit about Star Wars or, or Marvel because they saw all the movies, which is very cute. But I, but I also, I don't like doubt at them because I'm like, that's cool. At least you know some of what I'm talking about. You only know it was written, but you know, a little. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I only know what's in the movies, but you know some. So, Kudos, you like it. Hey, that's great. Maybe you'll buy comic books or something and actually get the backstory. <laughs> yeah. Jason, um, do you have anything to add? I have to say that I feel happy for the newer generations because they won't suffer the ridicule that we went through. Uh, so but then I turn around and I find that they suffer all sorts of ridicule that we never had um, where if you don't like a certain subsection of a certain area of a fandom, mm. they get not only uh, picked on or bullied in their physical environment, but in the uh, electronic environment also. So while oh, we opened up uh, some doors for them so they can be more expressive, uh, they're having to face difficulties that we never did. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, um, the the toxic fandom thing is really a fairly new event. Yes. Uh, this past few years, toxic fandom has been insane, and uh, I think it's a real shame because it used to just be okay. Well, you could at least find your own amongst nerds and be happy there, and now maybe not. Yeah, and, and that's sad. It really is. Yes, the internet. I mean, the internet is both a blessing and a curse for that because. When you are a fan of something, it's quite easy to find, a, say, a, a Facebook page that's very toxic and you don't like, but you do some searching and, hey, here's a bunch of people who are also interested in the same thing and they have much better attitudes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that happens at conventions, too. I mean, I remember starting an uproar by accident during a BBC panel. <laughs> uh on the subject of Doctor Who, because 
I don't know. I, I, I read something right before the panel and, you know, presented this option at the very end. Honestly, I just kind of want to cut out and go to the bathroom real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, it sent the entire panel up into an uproar. And I was, I was one of the panelists and the main person that people were asking questions to. <laughs> and it just went yeah. nuts. Yeah, it, it's a out. shame. I remember uh, the, my first D&D session. Um, I actually swore off Dungeons and Dragons for years afterwards. It was like that. Um, I joined in a session, some friends that invited me. And I ended up sitting down with some like just about maxed out character kind of people. They had me roll a new character and then laugh and stuff when I was getting just trounced on. It's like, really? This is what I'm dealing with here? If this is what D&D is, I don't want it. Man, I'm not going to lie. I've always wanted to play D&D, and I've never gotten a chance to because my anxiety, I'm afraid I'm going to make an idiot out of myself like, uh, or do something really stupid, and whoever else I'm playing with is going to be like, Karen, we thought you were a real nerd. <laughs> well, hold on a second. I have been in sessions where sea monsters have been killed with cookies. <laughs> I've been in a session of a different type of roleplay game where the popcorn machine of warding was an item. Believe me, what? Dungeons and Dragons is what you make it, okay? A lot of it comes down to the dungeon master. If you have a good dungeon master who can herd the cats through the course of a session, the personalities can be used to create a better story. If the dungeon master mm -hmm. just lets them run amok, then no one ends up having fun. All right. Well, that does bring in the next point. Um, along with this uh, newer um, atmosphere that we're talking about with the Internet, um, as it pertains to the rise of toxic fandoms and the types of things that it can, you know, create. Have you guys ever had somebody try to fansplain to you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you get somebody that's seen a couple of movies and they're going to explain this character to yeah. you. Yes. On, on, on top of being a woman, they fansplain and mansplain. Mm. Like, I, I know yeah. you guys are two dudes, and I don't know if you understand how much mansplaining we women have to deal with. But bring fandoms in on top of that. Oh, my gosh. You have my sympathy, and I try <laughs> to be mindful of it. <laughs> I actually had some of my but... mansplain mansplaining to me recently. Wow. That was, yeah, it, not for the first time. I had to uh, stop it and be like, you realize what you're doing. <laughs> okay, so now I guess the next question here is, how do you guys handle it when you have somebody that's sitting there to, trying to tell you about a fandom that you've known your entire life? Someone wants to try to fansplain to me. It comes down to two factors. One, it depends on the fandom. Some are so broad and there's so much retconning and stuff that if they feel that they are in the right because of retconning or, for instance, they don't know the expanded universe of something, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be very patient with them. If they're very young and enthusiastic about it and they're showing that they're expressing a love for it, I will uh, try, try to be very um, calm with them. If someone is really getting in my face and is trying to tell me that, you know, such and such mech could beat such and such uh, mech in Battletech, and I know for a fact that there's a 30-ton weight difference, I'm going to 
No, no. Have a seat, Junior. I'm going to explain to you what uh, triple strength mimer is. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll admit there's there's some things I don't don't know about. The things I do know about, uh, if somebody is just like going hardcore in, that somebody younger than me, I just I wait. I'll, I'll I'm just I love it until we get to, like you said, a point where I'm like, wait, hold on, let me stop you and correct you real quick. Just so you don't do this and embarrass yourself yeah. in the future. <laughs> yes. You see, I, I have two attitudes. Attitude one is if they're very enthusiastic and they are getting into it, I will take them under my wing and try to give them as much guidance as I possibly can. Like, oh, well, you've read this book. Okay, well, how about this one? If you haven't, I really recommend it or something along those lines. I did that today, actually. Um, <laughs> That's my first reaction is the reaction I try to stick with. However, there's also been times where I've had people try to inform me of things when they're just plain wrong. And now if they're wrong and they're just talking and they need correction, I'll try to correct. And if they're just trying to tell me how it is and what they think is right and what I think is wrong, it's like, don't cite the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. Right. Yeah. I just hold on and pull on. Um, and a lot of it is that attitude because I don't ever want to gatekeep. I don't want to quote a young fan. Right. But at the same time, if you're telling to tell me that your head cannon trumps actual cannon, we're going to have issues. It's like, I mean, you have, go ahead. I'm sorry. Hmm? Go ahead. Uh, I mean, my premise is if you want to have a personal way that you interpret something, by all means, go for it. But if you're going to talk to someone else about it, then the objective becomes the actual team. And that's where fans starts becoming conjecture at best. What really gets me is when people that are obviously pretty hardcore or, or like maybe somebody getting, I'll see, I see this at cons all the time. I'm sure you guys too. See someone that's like probably trying to get into it, uh, into whatever fandom, or maybe they've only been into it for a few years. And then there's some mm-hmm. other jerk like that eight-year-old that I told you about, <laughs> um, that just like swoops in and is like, oh, you, you know you're doing all this wrong, or, or like your cosplay isn't right, or blah, 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 and just doesn't even try to say, hey, look, I see you're trying. Let's talk. Let me share my wisdom with you, mm-hmm. young Padawan. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that's something too that I think uh, modern nerds, and by modern nerds, those who are coming into it now, they're coming into their own right now. Yeah. I don't think they all necessarily appreciate how hard it was for us to find things back then. We, we, building costumes and stuff like that. We, it, didn't it's have, we didn't have the internet immediately at our disposal mm-hmm. when, when we were their age. Like, we didn't grow up with the internet. It just happened sometime in our late teens. <laughs> you know, we weren't born with cell phones in our hands, our generation. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah, there was no, was as I like somewhere. to say, help me, Wikipedia, you're my only hope. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, pretty much anyone can update Wikipedia. Have, yeah. Like, <laughs> except they, they wouldn't give me my own page. I'm still, well, I'm still, I'm still a little bit salty <laughs> about that one. Well, I'm actually a little salty. Wikipedia, if you're listening. (laughs) Sorry. My wife keeps trying to convince me that uh, 
I need to edit Wikipedia occasionally. It's like, that's a rabbit hole I don't want to go down. I am plenty pedantic over certain things. I just don't want to go down that road. Uh, but yeah, the internet's a great place for finding things. I mean, I remember, well, right now, I was actually just recently researching where to get one of the uh, Monster Maroon jackets from Star Trek Rapicon because I'm putting together a new cosplay. Yeah. And I, I found like a person on eBay that's willing to make one for like Ooh, 90 bucks. No, no, no. Yeah. And it's like, if I were only looking for an entry level costume, I could at least get that much. Yeah. But I, I've been at this yeah. a little bit longer, so I'm going to keep looking. You get what you pay for. Somebody. It's like, oh, I really, yes, very much so. I really want to do a, a Sabine Wren. That's right, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Cosplay. And okay. just just the breastplate alone. Uh, I can find... I, I found one on Etsy, I think. Either Etsy mm-hmm. or eBay. Haven't bought it yet, so it's probably still out there. We're like 90 bucks. Just for the breastplate. That's about how much I spent on the uh, chest emblem in the center of my Kilded Lantern costume. Just the, the last emblem. quote I got from a, a actual tailor in uh, Cleveland: "Make me a monster maroon. Procure the material. Uh, procure all the sigils and make it for me with correct measurements." Was uh, six hundred dollars. Wow. But I also paid. Yeah, that's what I love to see. From yeah, well, I paid. Then, but, yeah. Uh, $250 for a Babylon Fiber with Alliance uniform. So I, I, I've made many costumes, but there are some things I just don't want to touch, and I will pay for the experience. Fair. Like if, if, you're in, if, if I was going to drop that much on a cosplay, that would be one of my like main exactly. cosplays exactly. for life. <clears throat> most, of the stuff, my, uh, most of the stuff I put together, like my, uh, uh, my new cosplay for one is one of my one of my it's become one of my regular go-tos i literally bought uh most of it on think geek may think geek rest in peace amen or ramen <laughs> uh, uh i'm i miss that website itself so much but I, I bought the jacket the tie and uh the the vest for like 30 bucks and a friend of mine gave me a, a men's button-down shirt that he had like in his garage, and then I, I wore some uh, pants that, thanks to COVID, I've probably grown out of, <laughs> and some boots that I had, and that that was and a, a wig that I paid like ten bucks from off eBay, yeah. and bam, yeah. So I think the most I paid was literally for my wand, because I wanted a wand, I wanted my new wand to be able to light up mm. at the tip, and I think that was yeah. probably like thirty or forty bucks. Most I spent on an outfit um, was I sunk about $180 into doing the wrong trousers from Wallace and Gromit, and I've worn it to one show. Yeah, my most expensive uh, kit has got to be my Red Knight, and that's because it's my reenactment kit with a different helmet. And I got about five grand wrapped up into that total. And that cost. That's understandable uh, for good armor. Oh, yeah. yeah. It still hurts. Even yeah, you, you can't now. put steel through a sewing machine. With the internet being what it is today, um, how well have you been able to adapt to being a nerd on the internet? Have you been able to find your tribe, or are you just still feeling like the odd one out? Okay, go ahead, I'll uh, go first. So, <laughs> um, as probably the oldest in the group here, I remember a day before the internet, and it was terrible. <laughs> trying to find your pride because 
when I was in even high school, it was dumb to read comic books and it was dumb to like the Lord of the Rings and you could get beat up for that. So now that I've seen the internet thrive in my lifetime, um, it's kind of a, it's a fine line for me to walk to be like, yeah, everything's great. And I finally know people that like the same stuff I do to being the old man shaking his cane and being like, you dang kids, you don't understand how good you got it nowadays, you know? So, um, Mm -hmm. it's very cool. What I tell everybody is this is great that I've lived long enough that we can get into huge arguments over what is our favorite Spider-Man movie. Because (laughs) when I was young, what did I have? I had Christopher Reeves as Superman, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, and now it's easy to overdose on whatever you like. You know, Marvel, DC, um, independents are doing huge things like the boys on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Netflix mm-hmm. is doing yeah. huge things, so it's it's a very cool time, but I'm glad I've lived long enough to see where we're at now. Yeah, Justin, is it cool if I ask Ryan a question? Go for it, Ryan. Since you're talking about being so old, how old? Like, <laughs> I'm 46. Oh, you got me beat by three 40s. years. No, well, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 41 in May. <laughs> oh, right on. All right. Well, I had no idea. You know. We're all yeah. I'm used to being the old man of the group when we're talking about <laughs> yeah. Christopher, Reeves, Reeves was, Christopher Reeves was also my Superman and, and you know, Adam West and, and uh, Michael, you know, Keaton were my Batmans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of finding, uh, using the internet to find new connections nowadays and seeing how it grew, um, I really first had access to the internet a lot when I went to uh, school down in Pittsburgh back in uh, 96 and to be able to find websites dedicated to your favorite uh, shows to find some of the early Babylon five uh, sites and be able to talk to other fans. That was amazing. Nowadays, you know, just last week I found there was an entire Facebook group uh, dedicated to the 1981 heavy metal movie. And I'm like, my right. people, you know, I feel like, I feel like I shouldn't be surprised about that. <laughs> and and that that's the, that's uh, both the blessing and the curse because you can't find these communities, but the communities are sometimes uh, very closed. They're very uh, of one mind, one interpretation of a work. Um, and then other ones are very accepting. Uh, yeah. And one I'll point to very much that can be at either end of the metronome are tabletop war game groups because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Warhammer 40k, but you can walk into a fan group that is for uh, Eldar race and they are some of the most vicious people you'll ever deal with. You join the uh, the Salamander <laughs> Space Marine group and they're the most loving group you'd ever you'd ever meet. I mean, today somebody posted a photo. His cat had passed away. So he was taking a clump of her fur and was putting it inside the new dreadnought he was painting so she could still serve even in death. Oh, yeah. that's cool. But <sighs> you, you get that polar opposite in any fandom. Um, but once you do find that right group, it's, it's like coming home. 
Agreed. Like I, I really haven't had uh, tried too hard to search out uh, a group that agrees with whatever fandom I'm interested in at the moment. Or well, I, not at the moment, but whatever I'm looking for. Just because most of my friends that I just know are such big nerds, I can just <laughs> talk to one of them about it, and you know, there are a few of them about it, and. I don't know. I just really haven't searched out too much. You've got I'm a, a hooligan. Well, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, we don't even. There's not even a page. Like it's just talking to my my buddies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have the people around you when you can. I hang out with a guy at work, um, and he he and I are about the only, I'd say, deep nerds in the entire place. And we find ways to talk to everybody else, but we're about the only two deep nerds that go into anything. And the internet has really opened up uh, groups that I never would have thought of. I mean, I, I joined uh, the Geek page, for example. Um, I can't yeah. remember how many years ago off the top of my head now. Same. I mean, one of the original 100, so. I think, but, I, I uh, want to say same. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, like within like a year or two after joining it, all of a sudden, I'm staying in the guest room at the founder's house just because he wanted to have us all meet at a convention, and he thought it sounded like fun. So, I mean, you can find some real friends on them, but again, like uh, what uh, Ryan was saying, you can run across some people. Yeah. I mean, the the like when I got into the Geek page, it's because the a girl that I was working with, with the company that I was working with, um, she just happened to be on that page and she just started didn't really know anybody or much of the ropes and I kind of took her in we both ended up being huge nerds and Whovians and it was just as soon as she found out I was a Whovian it was instant connection Mm -hmm. and and she she brought me into the geek page for the map and it's been downhill ever since (laughs) (laughs) so to speak one of us sorry Greg don't mean to say downhill if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure I tag him in the post. Oh, anyway. God. <laughs> that Christmas present was great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyhow. Now, the other uh, big factor that we talked about regarding the Internet that I kind of want to bring back into this is how easy it is to find things. Um, and this isn't just because of Internet, just because of the acceptance that uh, nerdy stuff has on the whole now. Um, I, I collect random things now that I never thought I'd collect in my life just because they're accessible to me. Same. I was going grocery shopping and at Aldi, I found just about an entire set of the Masters of the Universe Hot Wheels cards. Mm-hmm. Aldi? So, Did you say Aldi? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, Aldi. What? Yep. Yeah, I'm going to start going to Aldi more. <laughs> yeah, it, it's random sometimes, but I snagged them up because they were there. And I remember even... Growing up as a kid, I came into Masters of the Universe when it was reruns, and most of the toys were garage sale finds because they just weren't anywhere else. So for me to be able to find this stuff now is wonderful. And I'm not sure that the younger generation of nerds truly appreciate how awesome it is to have it accessible to you. Oh, gosh. Right? Yes, uh, very much so, um, especially in the cosplay community where you'll have uh, companies like um, – the, the makers of Borderlands, they will post 
full images scaled up of the characters so the fans can make the costumes as accurate as possible because they know they're out there. My first cosplay mm-hmm. uh, way back in the early 2000s was a visitor uniform from the TV show V. And my mom and I were pausing the VHS tape and like just <laughs> staring at the fuzzy screen trying to figure out how the vest went together and where the scenes yes. were. You know, so when, when someone says, oh, well, I went online, they had this whole database. I'm like, don't talk to me. What, what? You don't know how hard yeah. it was. <laughs> some some do appreciate and some just look at you like you're crazy. You went through all that. Yeah, it was called being a fan back then. Right. Oh, yeah. I remember throwing a fit when I was about six years old because my Halloween costume for trick or treat did not look just like Skeletor. <laughs> so, yeah. Was it the was it the plastic basically poncho thing and the plastic mask that you almost asphyxiated uh, <laughs> yep because i definitely wore one of those uh, and you'd be surprised <laughs> how much those go for these days man i wish oh. i had held on to it now there's so many things i wish i'd held on to oh, believe me i got a basement full of memories i'm trying to get <laughs> like oh i'll have kids i ain't having kids and i gotta sell all this <laughs> dude damn very relatable man <laughs> I mean, that's another factor that I'm not sure that anybody really appreciates for us older nerds. What we were into then is cool again, but now we have all this stuff. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. Someday? Right. Or the new stuff just... that comes out is such a better quality than what we it's got. So C- compare um, a lot of the toys uh, nowadays and the materials they can use and how intricate they are and the detail they can put on them versus uh, what we what, what they have now, I mean, and versus what we had, it's night and day difference. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I started, I started uh, officially, officially uh, collecting action figures uh, a few years ago because I, as a photographer, I had this whole idea <laughs> that I was going to do this uh, photo shoot with all these action, or these, you know, different photo shoots with all these action figures. I called it like hashtag behind the strip. And uh, and I was made spent way too much money making prints of these action figures doing what they would do maybe if they weren't on the page of a comic strip like having a cookout uh-huh. and and you know uh, Captain Marvel like stealing away one of the Mrs. Marvel you know from the other one um, from the other Mrs. Marvel I, I like to do cross stuff um, yeah and it it, it, it People loved it. It didn't sell. But I became, I ended up accidentally getting an action figure addiction, and I have well over 500 now, and no place to store them all. They're all stored in weird places, so the dogs don't eat them. <laughs> uh, but they're, yeah, but, the, but I, I, the quality is so good. I try to make them look as realistic, or by the action figures that strike my eye and look as realistic plus, as possible. I've given up on build a figures at this point because yeah too, uh, uh. Mm-hmm. I don't want all the figures necessary to buy, to get the build a figure so it's like well, they I'll keep, just go on and pay five bucks for an arm or yeah. something right and uh, they'll keep putting out that like with Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that or, or Iron Man Spider-Man they'll keep putting out like almost the basically the same figure with just different accessories well, you got to get thermal yeah. and, and, nuclear and, 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 and rocket launcher Spider-Man, I mean, <laughs> to complete the set, I you mean, know. 
Well, I, I'm fortunate. The, the figures that I like collecting are like pulp heroes. So not, there's not a whole lot of figures mm-hmm. for those. Like, I just recently got a phantom figure. Ooh, Ooh that's a good one. And mm-hmm. uh, I want to see yeah, that. And it's actually really nice. It's like a $35 figure. And I got it on clearance for 30 at Walmart because it had a damaged box. And I, I take my my figures out. So yeah, I, I take some of mine out, but I need to start fussing at people about damage boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Try and get that price down. Well, they actually <laughs> offered it to me that way, knowing that it was a collector's grade figure and it had a damaged box. So really, that was a great checkout person. <laughs> oh yeah, she and I had a long discussion about the fact that Walmart's terrible about their uh, exclusives. Every time I. Anyway. Every time I buy like figures, no matter where it is, like Target, Walmart, one or whatever big store, if I buy like a pile of that or a, several action figures, they're like, "Oh, somebody's little boy is gonna be happy." I'm like, "Yeah, no, it's, it's me. I'm 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 the little boy apparently, <laughs> and I am very yeah. happy with my purchase. Thank you." <laughs> well. I walked into uh, Walmart a while back. Uh, I was looking for something in the toy department, and I walked up to somebody, and I had my uh, Skeletor face mask on. Nice. It's just a skull yeah. face. It's just a skull mask that says Meow Frosted. <laughs> um, and she goes, we don't have any more of the Masters of the Universe Origins figures. And I said, that's not what I'm looking for, but thank you. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I was actually looking for the Bobby the Robot. But anyway. <laughs> but... I, I'm fortunate enough to where being an avid kilt wearer, people recognize me when I go into stores. So they stop asking things like, oh, who are you buying <laughs> this for? They know. Well, and where the technology I... t- technology has really come uh, around, um, and especially <clears throat> me being a miniature war gamer, uh, the Battletech series has been around from the uh, mid-80s. And Ironwind Metals out of Cincinnati did originally um, lead and then pot metal and pewter figurines. And they were always limited to uh, what they could do with spin casting. And uh, last year, uh, the company that runs it did a Kickstarter for new sculpts uh, that are um, injection molded plastic. The detail is like 100% better. There's so much to do it. I mean, they, they, met, they said, oh, well, we need about 300000 to uh, do this production run. They end up with $2.6 million. And nobody wow. wants the old minis anymore. They want this new hotness. So, of course, all us old grognards who don't really care, we just want to play the game. We're picking up models that used to be $50, $60 for 20 or 30 Yeah. Technology is great. Um, I'm a okay. Lantern fan, obviously. And uh, I'm telling you, I picked up a 3D printed ring off of eBay the other day for a couple of bucks. And I, I'm looking at it right now. And if you would have told me as a kid that I was ever going to have a ring that looked like this, I would have figured, A, you were probably lying, and B, I would never <laughs> mm-hmm. be able to afford it. Yeah. Oh, I'm staring at many, many 3D printed things on my desk right now that I need to finish painting. So, uh, bu- Buying a resin printer oh, is dangerous. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. I keep wanting to try and do at least molds to do like bootlegs, bootleg figures, and I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> something I should have, something I tried to probably should have tried to teach myself during COVID, <laughs> but yeah. it probably would have been way more money than I wanted to spend because I'll admit I'm kind of cheap. Oh yeah, wait, no, I not, not in that way, you guys. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't think it. What? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. I got into lightsaber building, and that's oh. Oh. 
I still don't have a I still don't have a lightsaber. <laughs> well, maybe we can talk after the show, and I can maybe send you the direction of some more um, a little bit better people at it than I am. So, <laughs> so I actually wanted to give kind of an opposite opinion on the accessibility of finding things nowadays mm-hmm. as opposed to back in my okay. day. So back in my day, we had stuff called toy stores. <laughs> and mm. if you wanted an action figure, <laughs> you would go to the toy store and buy it. And I've heard rumors about this place called Toys R Us. Yeah, Toys R Us. <laughs> KB Toy Store was a big one. Circus um, World. Um, yes. KB was one now, here's the deal. <laughs> They were affordable when we were young. Uh-huh. You know, they were realistic. Oh, yeah. You know, um, the turning point was really those uh, Marvel Secret Wars action figures. Uh-huh. They came yep. with those weird shields with like the, uh, you know, you tilt them and the picture changed. Yeah, that was really the turning yeah. point for mm-hmm. action figures, in my opinion. Ever since those. You know, because of course there was regular red and blue Spider-Man, and then there was black and white alien suit Spider-Man. So there's so many now. Here's the thing: <laughs> those were like eight bucks, new in package when they came out. Maybe fifteen yeah. years ago, ten years ago, they made a line of those, just like haha, remember this stuff? The exact same figures for like four times the price. You know, um, I I love DC stuff, and I have a lot of DC Legends action figures. Look up the question action figure sometime. It is the plainest action figure in the world. I have spent at least $20 twice getting that action figure. You know, um, for me, it's, it's almost offensive. A, the pricing of these... Sure, a lot of people go overboard with like, you know, look, 98 points of articulation and look at how awesome this is. But when you mention Walmart exclusives, that bugs me a lot because the seven-year-old kids of this world are getting boned trying to get into this stuff. You know, it's not for kids anymore. No, it is for a 40-year-old unmarried, no kids that have the disposable income to be able to say like, Oh, I hopped on the internet and got some Funko pop for like 40 bucks. Yeah. You know, that that's the thing that's a little offensive (laughs) for me. Um, looking at comic book pricing, you know, when I started the game, 75 cents, a dollar for an annual. Yep. I can't even keep up with comic books anymore. It's so expensive. Yeah, it's and Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous because it's the same stuff. You know, you don't 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 tell my my other nerd friends I'm not keeping up with comic books. Well, my point is we're buying paper. Yeah, that we're reading once and then we're sealing up in a non-biodegradable bag for forty years. Yeah, you know. So hoping it matures. That's my alternative take on it. Is that Mm -hmm. it's not. We're not really getting more bang for our buck. I guess kind of mixed bag on the uh, technology advancement versus price point versus availability. Yeah. Kind of mixed bag there. With those thoughts on accessibility and technology and all that kind of stuff, 
I guess the next point I would uh, want to ask is, how hard is it for you to not uh, instinctively want to gatekeep on when people consider themselves nerds? Mm-hmm. When you're sitting here looking where, okay, if you've probably been picked on at some point in time in your life over this. You had to go years throughout the dark ages of fandoms of not getting anything. And here they are. Oh, I watched Iron Man, and that makes me a nerd. I saw all, all, all the Iron Man movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but so how does it uh, make you feel when you see someone that's self-identifying as a nerd when they haven't been through half the stuff you've been through? Okay, so for me, it's when that's as far as they go. You know, oh, I've seen all the I've seen all the movies, so I'm such a nerd. Well, have you thought about, you know, reading some books or maybe checking out some graphic novels? No, just the movies is fine with me. If they pick one thing and that's enough for them, not a nerd. If they watch the movies and that sends them down a shame spiral of 4.30 in the morning eBay um, auctions, that's okay with me. You know, it's it's if they only pick one thing and that's all, you know, oh, oh I bought a t-shirt. Look how stupid I am. You know, you know, have you read anything? <laughs> no, I just thought, you know, look, it's Iron Man on the shirt, you know. If if they've only gone so far and that's as far as they're going, that's not really nerdy for me, but I'm glad they like it. Like I said, I'm glad I live in an age where we can argue about who's the better Spider-Man. But, you know, yeah. if they're like, oh, I've seen the Spider-Man movies. I'm a super Spider-Man fan. I'm like, well, did you read anything or you going to take it any further? No, that's OK. Eh, not really a nerd. Yeah, but I'm glad they're here. Okay, that's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a firm believer that the big deciding point for geekdom is passion about something. Um, if you're passionate about this or that thing, you can geek out about whatever. If you're passionate enough about it. Um, and I had to do a lot of soul searching to come to that conclusion because I have a hard time adjusting to well honestly being able to be surrounded by people of a somewhat like mind but knowing that they've never had to go through all the struggles that I mentioned previously Right. it's not to say that I want them to I assure you I don't because it's a special kind of uh, cruelty to want somebody to suffer as you've suffered Okay, it takes away from the mindset of I want better for other people, so I try to be happy for people. And it's, uh, I mean, aren't we as nerds and geeks supposed to be a kind of an accepting culture since we were so ridiculed when we were younger? Yeah, wow, that's (laughs) like (laughs) not at all correct. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, like, I would think we should be, but well, like uh, I said, we should be. Well, yeah, as human beings, we should be, you know. But it's just like, um, you know, the Warhammer versus the BattleTech guys, you know, like people. That's passion right there, but that's like, you know, the negative side of the passion for it, you know, when like, um, I don't. Oh God, it's hard to explain, but when you're like. I only like the Andrew Garfield version of Spider-Man, 
you know, and I'll die on that hill because he's the best, but you can't like embrace somebody that liked all three. That's like the bad side of the fandom and the bad side of being passionate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I pers- <laughs> go ahead. Well, I personally no, feel that in no. any fandom, there is not what I would call a one type of fan. There are levels of fans. And Ryan just made a good point in alluding to um, some of the creators, writers, authors, even inkers of comic books. Uh, take something as simple as, you know, Spider-Man. There are fans who are just fans of the movies, okay? There are fans who are fans of the movies and the video games. There are fans who are fans of the comic books, but only a certain writer. There's a fans who only like a certain artist style. Um, for Battletech, there are people who only like up to 3025. They will only play up to Clan War. They don't want to deal with the Blakest Jihad. And when someone comes in and says, oh, well, I'm a fan, I'm like, well, what are you a fan of? And they say, well, I'm a fan of this portion. I'm like, okay, you're a fan in this box. You're a fan in this section. The, the, very rarely do you come across fans who are omni, who, who will cover all bases. You know, try to find an Iron Man fan who can name every artist and writer who ever worked on the uh, comics but also can spout out technical details about how they made the Marvel movies and also has an in-depth knowledge of the animation studio that did the 90s cartoon show. Um, it, mm-hmm. it breaks down into niches and clicks. And if you're in that area and that's what you like, that's fine. When you come into my area and you're trying to say, oh, well, the comic was so much better than the movies because of blank, and I feel the other way. That's where you have your clashing. You have, uh, I'm not so sure, you know, I, I don't feel that here we believe that. And that's, I believe, is where the gatekeeping comes to. It, the easiest way to gate to explain gatekeeping, I always point out, is uh, the Star Wars movies. Because you have your original trilogy purists. You have your prequel trilogy lovers. And you have the people who like the new movies. Yeah. And all the interactions and conflicts that have evolved between those three camps and all the subsets. Oh, yeah. I just, I I hate when, like, there there are many times that I've been, like, on a panel or something. and, And obviously I'm on that panel for a reason because I have knowledge of whatever the panel is about. And I'm sorry if I say this too many times or in this podcast, but as... A female nerd somehow melt like guys look at me like even if I have all the information if not more so apparently I'm just like I don't know anything and they feel even though I have all the information and I can say yeah I know what you're talking about they still continue to oh well you don't know about this yet well yeah I do but you're not gonna stop talking at me about it not talking to me you're just not going to stop talking at me about what I said I know. Since we were, you know, the type that grew up nerds, some things have started happening with our various fandoms, uh, some good, some bad. And then some were just absolutely fantastic. I remember taking my stepdad and, right, full disclosure, Stepdad and I, we bonded over Godzilla. Those were the movies we would sit down and we would just watch them and we'd bond watch ah. Godzilla movies. 
We went, I took him to go see <laughs> King of the Monsters. And we both teared up just because of how amazing it was for yes. Showa era fame. Let's not say that it's great for storytelling. Let's not say that it's an Oscar winning movie. But if you were a fan of the Showa era mm-hmm. campy Godzilla and you say you didn't like that movie, I will tell you, you mm-hmm. do not understand Godzilla. It's Godzilla, not Shakespeare. And exactly. <laughs> Very true. In many cases, it was superior to Shakespeare, <laughs> but I'm going to leave that alone too. <laughs> but that being said, are there any dreams that you've ever had about your various fandoms that have somehow or another managed to come true because of the age we are living in now? Oh, yeah. How many Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Free to chime um, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it depends on what you want to refer to as dreams, because I've had definitely had some dreams that hadn't come true yet. Um, nothing more involved in having fun. You, you definitely fit in a dream. Nothing that would make you edit. Ah, yeah. One of these days I'll make it. All right. Who knows? Maybe next one. Somebody, somebody give me a couch. Uh, <laughs> let me touch on Spider-Man real quick. Go ahead, Ron. I'm only a few hours away. So okay. I've, I've been a lifelong Spider-Man fan. Um, in the very early 80s, they made some made-for-TV movies for Spider-Man that, looking back now, they're hilarious. Um, well, I know, but the here's the deal. The Japanese can, you even, can you even find those? The Japanese ones are great. And yeah. Hands down, Oscar-winning all around. But here's yeah. the deal. Um, the very first Spider-Man movie with, with Tobey Maguire... And ugh, Kristen Dunst. Here's the deal. Like, I remember going to see that movie, Kristen, whatever. She's garbage. Um, I went to go see that movie with my girlfriend at the time. I'm a, I'm a that theater was packed. I was in the seat where to my left was the wall of the theater, and to the right was six people, and then my girlfriend. Um, so, not to gross anybody out, but here's the deal. As soon as the main attraction started, I had to go to the bathroom like it was the first time I had ever gone number one in my life. And I (laughs) fought it for the full two hours because I was so transformed and transported is the word I want. Like, that movie's not perfect. I'll be the first to admit that. But for somebody who's waited their entire life to see Spider-Man taken seriously and done pretty well. Like, yes, please. You know, like Mm -hmm. that movie had me at Sam Raimi and honestly Mm -hmm. that first movie, like, Oh my God, you could literally, if you had told me that I was going to die at the end of that movie, I'd be like, I'm okay. I feel like I've seen everything I need to see. (laughs) Yeah. I've hit my mecca. (laughs) So that that's it for me. Like yeah, seeing that moment, seeing a lifelong, um, you know, character that I've grown up with and still read to this day, um, come to life literally before my eyes. As good as that was, that that was a dream come true for me right there. I mean that that's how it was for me with like the the that Wonder Woman movie. Even even you know. Even though it's Gal Gadot, you know, I, I like her. But, I mean, I've spent, 
my one of my first kind of action figures not like that wasn't like a Barbie. I really wasn't a Barbie fan, but my family didn't want to, you know, believe I liked action figures. <laughs> was a my my uncle was a huge <clears throat> Linda Carter Wonder Woman fan. So like one of my first dolls, I remember I held on to this uh, as long as I could, and I think I left it at a friend's house when I was eight. Was a you know, Linda Carter Wonder Woman figure. So when Wonder Woman came out, I was like this, and it was everything that I really wanted. It was great. I'm sorry, I think I was going somewhere else. I was trying to relate, and my dogs are barking at me and just distracting me, so I don't know where that stream of consciousness is. For me, go ahead. All right. No, I was just going to say, actually, yes, there there are two things that I would say have overjoyed me. Uh, in, in terms of letting uh, the broader populace experience something that I grew up with. The first was when the um, second, and in my opinion, only Dread movie came out, Judge Dread movie came out um, with, uh, oh, my, my, my mind just blanked on his name. Uh, played Bones in the new Star Trek. Yeah. Um, I, I, no, yeah. because I got you. Because I think I had I that up, poster somewhere. <laughs> uh, my, my parents encouraged me to read all the time. I my grandparents were big ones for Goodwill and Salvation Army for antiquing and stuff. So at a very very young age, I discovered heavy metal in 2000 AD. So I was a huge fan of Judge Dredd. And when the Stallone movie came out, I was just so disappointed because I'm like, this is not Judge Dredd. And then um, Carl Urban. That was when I saw that Carl Urban was attached to a new Dread film. I was cautiously optimistic. And then I go and see the movie, and I'm like, "Yes, people are finally seeing the real D- Judge Dread. Dark, gritty, violent. Does not take off his helmet. Dispenses the law." And it was just like, "Oh my God!" I, everybody's now seeing what they should have seen ages ago. And the second thing actually uh, is tied into. Um, something that is both good and bad is I am a huge fan of Terry Pratchett's uh, Discworld series. And when that new watch show mm-hmm. came out, people were like, Oh, it's not that good. Like, no, you need to read the books. I have, I have bought and given out more copies of guards guards in the last year. And since that show came out to give the friends to say, no, this is what the watch is. And they've gone on to read the books and everything. And, yeah. and the one other third thing I will say is a small thing, but Babylon 5 finally being released and Stargate uh, finally being released on Netflix and HBO, the, the shows that we loved and were so good and you tried to get people to watch it, but there was no easy way to do it. Now that they're on streaming, I, can, I, can, I have literally lost count of the people I've gotten addicted to Babylon 5 since it premiered on HBO. Oh my goodness. I've, oh, what happens, this? what happens to this character? What happens to Londo? I'm like, keep watching. <laughs> Yes. I mean, that, Watch it! And, and to me, I tell people, I'm like, oh, well, I've seen Star Trek and I've seen stars. I said, have you seen Babylon 5? No. Watch it. Well, what happened? Watch it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, my uh, nerd joy was actually just uh, coming into its full flower, for lack of an expression. Um, when I was in high school, they yes. used the first Lord of the Rings movie. <sighs> And I went to that, and I went uh, in full cosplay. I had mm-hmm. worked out Elven Cloak, and I was in, here I am, Bowling Green, Ohio, just 
And for anybody that doesn't know where that is, <laughs> I know where it is. It's south of Toledo. I grew up in the Youngstown area. And it's, yeah, okay. Well, this, it is a small town, and I was from an even smaller town. And the theater had maybe half capacity in the area for the fellowship of the ring. And I was waiting to go to the restroom afterwards. And I remember a couple of teenagers, a little older than myself, turned the corner and looked down the hall at me and go, hey, it's one of those Lord <laughs> of the Rings nerds. <sighs> and I just smiled and waved because, you know what? Mm-hmm. I was so happy at that moment. It didn't anymore. Well, I think we, yeah. I, I remember. I was going to say, we, we, we can thank Orlando Bloom, I, just, I think, I for went... a lot of the uh, publicity that those movies got. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. I, I remember when, uh, also, when the first Lord of the Rings came out, I actually was rushing from work to go meet up with friends of mine uh, at the local movie theater, obviously. I'm not going to go out of town for a movie theater. Um, oh. And got rear ended. <laughs> so I couldn't make it. I had to wait. But I still, when the, uh, we did a yard sale today at my house, or in, in, in the neighborhood, actually. And I found yeah. my popcorn bucket from the first Lord oh, yeah. of the Rings. You guys remember they had those? Like, they, like you could pay the extra ten mm-hmm. bucks or whatever for that classic popcorn uh, bucket. My thing yeah, is it's my nothing special for it. Yeah, it's still my attic. Like, because for some reason, my brain. Actually, somebody, another friend of mine, uh, had given me the original film, or well, not the original, but whatever film trailers they used at his or whatever movie studio he worked at uh, for Lord of the Rings. So I have had the trailer for the first Lord of the mm-hmm. Rings nice. on film. <laughs> nice. Stored away. Uh, also, also Jay and Son of Bob. It was like a double gift. He's like, if you ever... Oh, yeah. That's very cool. These might be worth money one day. <laughs> film, 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 is, film is money now. I have a friend who collects, and you'd be surprised how much some of those go for. Even uh, second-run films of... Um, Movies that never even made any money just to have the actual film itself is a few hundred bucks at least just for the for the cellulose in them. Right. I mean, they, they sell like just bits of mm-hmm. like one one frame mm-hmm. or like a frame and a half or yeah. whatever to collectors now. Yeah. Could just be the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Could be the credits. Who knows? If somebody's name is yep. on the credits and they want to pay for it. Hey, there you go. Okay, since we're talking about dreams and things like that that we've had that have managed mm-hmm. to come true because of the era we're living in, um, I just want to throw out what my favorite was beyond just the Lord of the Rings one, but also um, all of the Tolkien books that were intended to be released by mm-hmm. the professor himself have finally been released. Right. All bit way posthumously, but his big three have finally been released, and mm-hmm. that makes me feel good as a Tolkienite. But... Um, I just wanted to make that point out there because I know there's some people who were questioning how many books came out after his death. Yep. And well, there we have it. Um, now, since we talked about that, we talked about you know how things have changed in terms of accessibility to things. We talked about how things have uh, changed in terms of acceptance of the geeky and the nerdy. And we talked briefly about uh, how um, fansplaining works from the younger generation up to us old nerds. Um, here's a question that, um, can be 
mixed, honestly. And, and I, 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 we're nearing probably about the end of where we're going to be discussing. But I want to include this question. Right. Uh, so do we get to do a free-for-all cage match? Kind of talk about anything after that? <laughs> I actually could be really cool with that. But anyhow. <laughs> now, the question here I have is, is there ever a time where any of you guys feel like you're out of place because of your age? Yes. Still being a nerd. Oh yeah. Yes. Daily. <laughs> okay, let's hear some horror stories. I guess it, it especially comes into play yeah. with, um, in my case, I found is I, I'm a fan of Japanese animation, but to me, I grew up in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s, so. It started with Robotech uh, and Voltron, then it moved on to Pat Labor and Slayers and Neon Genesis Evangelion. And when I go to an actual dedicated anime convention, if you don't keep up on the latest and newest thing, you don't recognize half the cosplays, you don't know what people are referencing, and unless you find another Grognar that says, hey, you remember Slayers? Yeah, that show was great. Um, you, you, you really are out of the conversation just because that, that genre I know moves so fast and you do really feel like the old guy or if, mm-hmm. um, and in the cosplay world, depending on your location and what groups you're involved in, I, uh, went to a cosplay meetup down in Pittsburgh who I'd been talking to these people and we're like, okay, we're going to go down to the Pittsburgh zoo. We're all going to dress up. We've got permission to go and walk around for the day. So of course, you know, I throw on captain kangaroo. I'm figuring, okay, there's going to be kangaroos, captain kangaroo. And I'll show up and I meet these people and I'm like, you're half my age or younger. And there's such a disconnect there. (laughs) I'm, I recognize maybe three out of the 20 outfits and it, it real the age gap really shows in instances like that where you're not in on the latest and greatest thing, and you you you're sort of like the the old man. In my day, uh, either you guys want to chime in on this one anymore, or I I, 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 <laughs> I was waiting for him to go next. Oh, you want me to go <laughs> next? Or? I'm I'm trying to build it up my brain, but I keep losing. <laughs> there's there's a lot of Jameson in my brain right now, so. She's trying to distill I'm her trying thoughts. to keep my brain on track and build okay, up. Okay, so there, there's a lot of things I can mention. Okay, well. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> but I'm going to focus on one thing only. X-Men comics. Okay. Nowadays, okay. I'm just like, they're still doing that? Like, um, you know, I gave up on X-Men comics completely when uh, Cable and Strife were like, oh, I'm Cyclops' kid. I'm a clone or your brother or what." I'm just like, whatever. Like, I had sat through 10 years of, is Sabretooth Wolverine's dad? Who knows? And, you know, um, honestly... <laughs> <laughs> There's like one of those like panels out of context memes where um it's like a young Cyclops mm-hmm. and young Jean Grey talking to uh like Richard Ryder Nova or something. And they're like, No, we're from the past because my current incarnation like went crazy and killed everybody. 
And like Nova's like, every part of you makes me sad. You know, like I, I, I can't believe that they're still doing X-Men comics. And I can't believe it's gotten so, you know, Marvel's kind of hinged their cart to X-Men a lot of times. And they just, there yeah, so and they can't seem to do it right, you know, and I, I just am always surprised <laughs> when the kids nowadays are like, oh, man, X-Men comics, and I'm just like, I can't believe that's still happening. Like, I'll watch the movies, I'll watch cartoons, <laughs> but the age gap for me is like, you kids need to watch Pride of the X-Men, period. And then get back to me about how great the X-Men are nowadays. You know, I, I agree with you for the most part of that, but House of X, Powers of Ten was solid reading, and the ones that came right after it were good, and I can't speak past that because I haven't been able to keep up. But uh, that's because it cleaned up a lot of those continuity problems they were having. I will take your word for it. I but read House of X. I, I fully understand. That was about it. Yeah. It's it's just, it's too hard for me to even keep up anymore. So I'm just I try to keep my ear to the ground, like or to the wall or whatever when people are talking about it, and that's kind of how I keep up. And you know it's funny because I have a friend who owns a comic shop, and people will come in and say, "Oh, well, what's happening in, in this issue and this like, issue?" He's like, "I don't read comics anymore. He hasn't read comics for thirty years. He just sells them. You cannot keep up with everything going on." <laughs> One of my buddies that um, uh, has been in several bands over the years uh, works at works now at the comic book shop around the corner for me. So if I don't know, if, if I can't keep up on something, I can either ask him or my friend that's the owner and not feel like a complete moron. <laughs> Just because I'm like, okay, I need to know about what's going on with this because I don't really feel like looking it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, do you have anything to say about the uh, age gap there, Karen? Totally. A, a, a lot of things that we've already talked about, uh, like the, the Star Wars, who, who, like, which version of the Star Wars, whether it's the original or the prequels or the new stuff, there's an age gap issue there. X-Men, there's an age gap issue there. Uh, uh, depending on what people have read or if they just watch the movies. I, I feel like we've covered most of that, honestly. It's all it's all over the place. It's just mm, you want to as as an aging nerd, you want to take these people and be like, okay, I, I, I see I see your I see your interest. Let me let me take you back a little bit to try to help, you know, wing you in on the way this originally started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of them just don't want to listen, to be honest. They don't want to listen. They don't want to go back. They they want to. They're so steadfast. That's how 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 they were introduced. Well, that's that's the way. Some of them, or most of them, are. Some of them are like you know, what I consider true nerds. <laughs> Will go back and do their research. I don't want to say true nerds. That's mean. You gotta see where you gotta see what I mean, though, right? Yeah. Not true. No, I don't want to. I don't want to be down on anybody. But I mean, just 
like we discussed earlier, we had to put forth the effort. We didn't have the internet available to us. We had to go out. We had to find, like, search down the comics. We couldn't buy it on Amazon. We had to search down the figures. Pause VHS tapes to get the costume right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so easy. It's so easy for kids these days. And oh my God, I'm sure you guys feel as old as I do when I say that. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy for everybody to do it now. And it's so acceptable now. It's oh, like yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very angry at that. World. Huh? You know, in my, in my most shameful time, I'm super mad. Super mad that like kids aren't getting their backpacks like slapped out of their hands in high school now. You know, or made fun of or <laughs> whatever because you're wearing a Spider-Man shirt. You know, like well, they, they probably are that infuriates me, but I'm also glad, you know, like I'm glad that like the stuff that we went through kind of paved the way for this kind of acceptance. I feel like it was character building for us. You know, it made us, I oh, feel yeah, like it made for us sure. stronger people, even though it sucks. Well, even though I like, it super sucks. Well, it made, I like I feel like. Uh, I'm sorry. No, go but ahead. I, I like to think of it this way with that character building kind of thing. That kind of behavior is what shaped us into the people we are today that are the ones making these films that can walk into a studio, uh, sit down with somebody and say, okay, I have an idea for a movie. What's that? Sharknado. <laughs> you know the person that brought up Sharknado the first time was bullied unmercifully at some point in time in their life. Otherwise, they would never have the confidence to stand up and say, I want to make a movie I'm sure about the studio people are sharks. like, uh, Troma Studios is over in Jersey. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're already famous and like, oh. this is a side project for you. Like, I <laughs> yeah. saw these uh, twin brothers doing stand-up and they were talking about Shaquille O'Neal and the 90s. And he's just like, I got two words for you. Rapping genie. You know? For that Kazam movie. Like, who okayed that? Well, the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle got made solely because uh, Robert De Niro was friends with the creator's family and basically browbeat the uh, studio into letting it happen or he wouldn't do their next movie. Well, that's that's fine. That's that's using your star cloud for something acceptable. Well, I mean, if, if, uh, if uh, uh, why am I blanking right now? Uh, Deadpool. Help. Yeah, well, yes. Duh. Jameson. <laughs> Woo. Hey, if anybody wants to send me Jameson. <laughs> You're only going to get pictures of J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> demanding pictures <laughs> of Spider Man. Uh, oh. I'll, pro- I'll probably get more awkward pictures of than that, depending on how far this audience mm-hmm. goes. <laughs> um, it's a pretty safe crowd. Uh, oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, but uh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds, I mean, if he uh, apparently he was a big Deadpool fan, would I and Deadpool? The movie is pretty great. If, if he if if yes. it wasn't for yeah. him, like didn't he mostly back it himself because he's such a big fan? I mean, he didn't he write it and like he pretty much back, like do all the fu- mm, yeah. all the legwork. Yeah, I mean, and that's that that was that's 
I cannot imagine at well, this point, true. like a better Deadpool. Um, and yeah. I hate to be, you know, the the whatever flying the super whatever. I love Ryan Reynolds. I love the Deadpool stuff. He needs to shut up about Green Lantern. Like the thing about Deadpool too is that garbage at the <laughs> end. Fine, yeah, shoot yourself in Wolverine two or three or whatever it was. That first Deadpool. I, I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, I just kind of enjoyed that he poked fun at himself because it's it was the same director, right? I I don't know, but I do know was this. It? It's been like a while now, you know. Shut up. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know he only you know he probably just did that for the fans, like or as many people as that probably gave him. Well, here's the thing, you know, we it. all <laughs> had a moment in our lives where we were taking what we could get. You know, um yes. I love Green Lantern, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. That movie was not very strong at all, but I took what I could get and I understand that was the best thing they could come up with. Yeah. At the time, mm-hmm. you know, stop, stop, stop crapping on stuff that brought you to where you are now, is what I'm saying. I got you. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just, I appreciate, like, I just appreciate when, when, you know, I, I, I thought it was oh, funny. Yeah. I appreciate when people can poke fun at themselves. I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, huh, huh, eh. It, it just it was just like kind of a <laughs> just and yeah. I, I looked around at my friends and I was like, You guys get that right? You guys yes, you guys uh, now? Now you guys did you guys not really see that one? <laughs> all right, well now it's great that we can have these kind of conversations now because there was a point in our lives where this conversation couldn't happen because none of this stuff would be here for us to critique and have our say on. And that's part of where my age gap uh, story comes in. Um, I used to do um, a small convent, not do, but I used to attend regularly and sometimes do uh, programming at a uh, small convention. Um, It was put on by a student Mm -hmm. union, so that should tell you the age gap that I'm going to be dealing with here. Um, But it's just this little anime convention, and I went uh, one year as a character that nobody recognized because they were all too young um i did a godzilla panel actually at that one um and i i was enthralled by the sheer diversity of the age categories there i had somebody that was there that actually remembered going to see the original when it was released here in the states in 56 with aaron burr and i know the original was made in 54 mm-hmm. but the aaron right. burr version was released in 56 so don't lose it um no one's going to yell at you. I, I oh, <laughs> you don't see the comments. Anyway, um, okay. Well, there's that too. <laughs> but he remembered seeing that, and then at the same time, there was a kid there that was like maybe eight, maybe, and he was talking about uh, how much he loves Space <laughs> Godzilla, and he hoped I was going to talk about Space Godzilla, and. At the same time, I was in awe and respect for the gentleman that saw it in theaters when it was released, and I was completely enamored with the fact that there was this younger child there that was just as passionate about it as I was, and I felt like I was stuck in the middle. But then, at the same time, I walked out of that convention panel, 
back into the sea of prepubescence. And I realized that nobody there really understood where I was coming from on the being a nerd since that old. Um, it was wildly apparent um, the year following I went in my full Highland attire um, dress outfit. So we're talking the Jabot, we're talking the shell jacket with double rows of buttons. I look like I might as well be a member of a pipe band. And I walk around the convention constantly being asked, who are you cosplaying as? Connor and I just started making stuff up. Oh, I've done that. <laughs> Actually, what I said was, at that point in time, um, ah. Black Butler hadn't gotten its new season yet. I said I was uh, the Inquisitor in season three of Black Butler. And Black Butler doesn't have a season three said, <laughs> yet. It just came out in Japan, and it's great. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I'm the Inquisitor that gets sent through... Uh, Victoria's royal guard to track him down. I'm like, great, I'm gonna go look that up, and it's like, yeah, have fun, kid. And then I told another one that I part of some romance anime called Tartan and Lace, and I'm not sure if find anything more than just really nice dress codes. Um, and so I, I tend to let the age gap sometimes take me down bitter roads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, it's not my proud moments, but you know what? It, it's true. I can I can <laughs> on a dime, and I'm telling you, I use it for evil. Good, good. I mean, uh, there are so many things that I want to cosplay these days. Like, with, with, with a lot of cosplays these days that I'd like to dress up as, they're, a lot of them are in just regular clothes. I could probably just pull out my closet. But then if mm -hmm. I go to a con in those clothes, I look like I'm not dressed up at all. Exactly. <laughs> so it, 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 it's like cosplaying is one of those things that you just feel like you have to be a little bit extra. So just so people get it, that, that they'll know your cosplay. Like, mm -hmm. I can't show up at a convention dressed as like Faith from Buff, Buffy the Vampire Slayer because otherwise it just looks like I donned my old knives apparel, which I can't, I don't think I can still fit into. I sold a bunch of it today. <laughs> I have found that the more obscure so <laughs> or the more subdued the cosplay is when you do recognize that they love it. Oh, you'd be I recognized really by the fans. I really want to dress up a Terry dress in one day, you guys. <clears throat> well, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can walk in anything. I'm, I'm like 5'7". I don't know if I can walk in anything. Don't let your body type uh, influence your something. cosplay. <laughs> don't let your body shape or size. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing I do on mine is I wear a kilt instead of tights, and that's more of a public service. Um mm. But that I'm being working, said, that I'm working being said, on a. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Before we get spiraling down another road of uh, uh, detachment here, uh, my last question that I have for the night is: Okay, now as elder nerds. As as what? I'm sorry. As elder nerds. Uh, what piece of advice would you give to anybody who's just starting down their geeky, geeky road? <laughs> Don't wear heels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I, I've, I've twisted my ankles so many times in heels. Don't wear anything too revealing if you don't feel like, or if you feel like you're pressured to do it, like mm -hmm. as, as, a, as a female. 
I, I know there are some times that I've, I've felt like like I couldn't go someplace uh, or couldn't dress up as Princess Leia unless I was in uh, uh, the Slave Leia outfit. I couldn't do just like the white, you know, tunic mm-hmm. issue. Um, and that's stupid. And I should be able to dress, you should be able to dress up however you want to, whether it's conservative or whatever. Just do what you want. Don't, uh-huh. don't, don't, don't do what you think is supposed to be. Do what you want. Even if it's, even if it's a blend. Uh-huh. All right. Sorry, tangent. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's actually a good piece of advice. Do what you want, not what people think you need to do. All right. Um, One thing Jason, you have that I you try to convey to the younger generations when they come into any fandom is to learn to appreciate uh, what they have, because in any fandom, you will have layers to it. And the more they explore and the more they dig into it, the more they'll learn about it. Um, the more uh, in-depth they want to get into it. And it's, it's a personal journey. Some people may decide to only look at the surface, and that's good enough for them. Other people want to know why, and they dig deeper, and they want to know more, and they want to reach out and find more information. This new uh, Dune movie is a perfect example because people are asking, well, what's Dune? It looks interesting. Well, what are the books like? Where do I start with the books? What should I read? Who do I go? What's this board game about? What's this about a RPG coming out? You know, and it's when you come into a fandom, go as deep as you want, learn as much as you want. And once you have that knowledge, share it, share the knowledge that you join with others. Um, one of the things I love to say is, uh, being a fan is like an infectious disease. It wants you to spread to other people. Yes. Yes. All right. I was hoping you weren't going to end that with see a doctor and get rid of it. <laughs> uh, well, but... uh, we know a few doctors. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. How to go there with that. Speaking of people with credentials, um, uh, Ryan, what would you have? Oh, it's easy. Um, be open to talking about it with whoever wants to talk about it, but you don't have to defend your opinion of what you like or love to anybody. Um, <clears throat> here's the deal. I love Green Lantern. Um, in a million years, I'm not going to be able to name all of them. Um, I am always going to call that one fish guy that's blind the fish guy that's blind or the blip-plop Green Lantern. I don't care (laughs) how many times you tell me his name. That's what's up. But it doesn't diminish my love for the character at all. Um, You know, talk to whoever wants to talk to you about your, your nerdy fandom. You know, if it's... If it's something you love, talk about it. But if somebody is trying to put you on the defensive, you don't have to defend your opinion of it to anybody, especially in today's society. You know, you may have to, like, grin and bear it with your parents for a couple of years and be like, well, look, the Powerpuff Girls just speak to me in a way that I can't explain. But you don't, you don't have to defend yourself in the fandom community. That's what I would tell them. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You, you don't have, have to. to feel like if someone's trying to make you feel that way, just be like, I will indeed smell you later and just go away from them. You know, there's the world that we live in today. Yeah. There's plenty of Spider-Man fans out there that if, you know, if they're like, I only like the Andrew Garfield one, I'm like, that's cool, man. Check you later. And there's plenty of other people that want to talk about it. You know, it's not like when we were young. <laughs> When it was like a dirt, like, meet me under the second floor stairwell. And we'll talk about G.I. Joe's, you know, like, um, it's it's just a so much more accessible world. Right. You can find anyone that wants to talk about anything. So don't don't feel like you have to be defending yourself. That's that's right. Uh, and, and if somebody's being like defensive against you, just like yeah. yeah, like you said, just be done with them, walk away, smell you later, don't have to deal with you, block them or something, you know. All right, now I'm gonna wrap this up with my quick piece of advice, and that's to remember that as a geek and or nerd, when you get into something. It's okay mm-hmm. to not yes. know everything. Yes. Some of this stuff you're never going to know at all. I mean, I recently introduced my pastor to Green Lantern by showing him my 75th anniversary edition of uh, that they put out for you know the character. And I did that primarily because it was a good overview, and I was never expecting him to learn it all from that. Some of this stuff's been around for so long, there's no possible way to. And there's always room to learn more if that's what you want to do, but never let anybody try to degrade you because you only know this much this early on. Keep your passion if that's what you're passionate about and don't let other people try to keep you away from that. Absolutely. Oh, yes. All right, guys, this has been really fun. I, I almost don't want to end it. I wish we could just keep like talking now. <laughs> Is there a way that we can keep talking and like get off the recording? <laughs> or can well, you just like can you just like cancel everything out after we stop? Well, I can actually do that last bit, but I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say this is officially we're wrapping up our uh, session and I hope it's been uh, meaningful for someone. Well, and I hope it helps to create some kind of connection out there yeah, for somebody else. Yeah, you kids are great. Alright, that was a fun time with those folks, and again, I'd like to thank you each and all. It was a really fun time, Um, especially some of the stuff that I had to cut out. It was a big digression, but it was a fun digression. But for time and, well, some cases, very technical problems, I had to trim it down. And again, I apologize if there's something you were hoping to hear on the the air. Now, moving along to our uh, character spotlight. Now... Our character spotlight session for this uh, episode, I'm going to go ahead and cover the uh, character, the Phantom. Now, the Phantom is a, well, I guess he's considered to be a transitional character between the pulp heroes from earlier generation and the later superhero genre. 
because he does not have any superpowers. He actually uses equipment and such, much like Batman does. Um, and he functions much like the old pulp heroes. In fact, um, he's actually classified adventure as opposed to superhero comic. Now, as it pertains to uh, what makes him more like superheroes, well, he was the first one to wear the skin-tight unitard. And he was also the first one to wear a domino mask where his pupils were whited out as well. And both of those things came to be mainstays within the uh, superhero design genre. And this particular character did both of those. Looking at the character, um, he was actually uh, first featured and first seen in the Singh Brotherhood, which is a part of the Daily Comic Strip, in February, excuse me, in February of 1936. Which, yes, it makes him older than Superman, but not as old as the Phantom of Memory, sir. Not Phantom, but uh, the Shadow. I'm sorry, but not as old as the Shadow, if memory serves. Now. His comic strip has always been published by King Feature Syndicate. That's King, like the royalty, Feature Syndicate. And his comic books have been published by a huge selection of people because it's a licensed, um, it's a licensed property. Um, DC and Marvel have both had their run on it. King Comics, Diamond Comics, Moonstone, Dark Horse, Image. Some lesser-known ones are uh, David McKay, Harvey Comics, Gold Key Comics, which also ran Turok for a long while, and I'm a big fan of Turok. Um, All of these people have ran, had their run with uh, this character. He was created by uh, Lee Folk, and this particular phantom, the one that you see more often than not, is Kit Walker. Um, Big fighter and marksman, Genius level intellect, peak athletic condition, and he often uses uh, technologically advanced weaponry, though currently his sidearms that he carries, because the Phantom is known for having usually depicted as two guns um, and his rings. Now, the rings haven't really weren't a weapon until the, uh, I think it was 96 movie came out. Um, with Billy Zane, and again, that's a great movie. I absolutely love it. We're going to get on that subject a little bit later. Um, where they, they used a ring blast in that, but that was about the first time I can recall anywhere that his ring was a weapon. Now, um, he carries uh, Colt 1911s, or M1911s, as it were, um, for his pistols, more commonly than not, though the action figure I have, uh, he's carrying some kind of blaster and uh, it looks nice but I kind of wish that they would have included the 1911s in there now the Phantom uh, inhabits the uh, fictional African country uh, well the jungle in this fictional African country known as Bangala and again this, uh, this has changed a lot over the years since 1936 there's been lots of minor changes made to the character. So I'm just going to kind of give you a little bit of an overview such as I can. His most notable alias is the Ghost Who Walks. Um, And he's a legacy hero. This particular one, Kit Walker, is actually 
um, number 21 in the line. And you can find out his lineage by looking back at the comics, or even just the Wikipedia page gives a crap ton of information. Um, but the first one dates, the first Phantom dates all the way back to, uh, dates all the way back into the 1500s, um, where he married the, uh, I think it's the uh, daughter or granddaughter of, uh, Christopher Columbus. So yeah, that should tell you roughly how old we're talking here. And, and again, the history doesn't always line up with actual history, but it's a comic book, especially in the pulp era. So let's be gentle with that kind of judgment. Um, as with my other form of uh, ring-slinging oath-takers, there's a phantom oath as well. It's referred to as the Oath of the Skull. I swear to devote my life to the destruction of piracy, greed, cruelty, and injustice in all their forms, and my sons and their sons shall follow me. Now, that being said, there has also been some daughters uh, that have been the Phantom as well, and we'll discuss those a little bit here. Um, Julie Walker, uh, she was the twin sister of the 17th Phantom. She put it on to defeat a band of pirates when her brother was, uh, when he was uh, injured in a fight. And then she later handed it back over. Um, the name Mr. Walker is used repeatedly in relation to the Phantom. And more often than not, that goes by the fact that his name is Kit Walker. However, some people have said that it actually alludes to the ghost that walks. Um... Some versions of the origin story also include uh, the original Phantom's last name being Standish versus it being Walker later on. And that was and he was born in 1516, so again we're looking at some history play there. Now the Skull Cave is what became the home of the Phantom, and again being a legacy, all of the previous Phantoms are buried there, and they did a great job depicting that in uh the movie in the 90s. And they did it by having the weapons of the various phantoms along the walls. And then, of course, there's the three skulls. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes along with the phantom. Um, and I, I'm not even going to try to sum up all of the history here. But let's just say that... Um, we're talking about a true legendary hero. The point where... Popular art has moved into being straight tribal art depicting the Phantom because during World War II, Phantom comics were often distributed amongst the troops and they carried them into the Philippines and some other various regions and the Phantom became a symbol of strength and heroism there because it was a form of cultural exchange between these peoples. And so it's really great to see that. Now, um, as per his weapons and costume... He has the black domino mask that uh, blots out the eyes, and he has a skin-tight costume. Those things are considered the dominant feature. Um, a lot of times in modern depictions, he's wearing all purple. Sometimes he has black trunks. Sometimes they're actually a weird blue-white striped trunk. I remember seeing that on Phantom Figures back when I was a kid. I kind of wish I kept those because they were crazy awesome, and they're hard to find now. And when you do find them, they're stupid expensive. Um, 
he fits along with the likes of Zoro in the shadow, but he also fits along with uh, Batman, especially because of the uh, technology and intellect and physical ability, as opposed to superhuman stuff. Um, originally, they were con- he was default considered naming him the Grey Ghost, but it wasn't until the Phantom Sunday strip debuted in 1939, which was the first time that he was depicted in color, because the daily comic strips where he debuted in the 36. Um, those were all done in black and white, but they were going to have him wearing gray, whereas Falk found the uh, colorist had made the outfit purple, and it took him quite a few years before he uh, agreed that it was to be purple, and he actually was writing gray into the text and all this other stuff sometimes, but um, it worked out in the 60s that uh, the Phantom chose his costume based on the appearance of a jungle idol and colored the cloth with purple jungle berries. And again, this may be some reference to that cultural exchange I mentioned earlier. Now, um, it wasn't until The Phantom Ghost Walks from the Moonstone book series that his costume began being made of Kevlar for additional durability and protection. Now, let's talk a little bit about his rings. I love his rings. And if I ever get a chance, I'm hoping someday to own a set produced by uh, Underworld and Beyond on Etsy. Burke, the gentleman that makes them, does a fantastic job, and and I hope to someday own a set of those. But um, it's two separate rings. One came before the other. The evil mark, or the skull mark, has a skull shape on the ring, and it leaves a scar of the corresponding shape when he punches the enemies with it to denote who his enemies are. And then he has the good mark, which he wears on his left hand so that it's closer to his heart, which a lot of people say it looks like a uh, cross where the ends all terminate in the letter P. But actually it's supposed to represent four sabers in a circular pattern. Now, that mark, he actually like almost brands people with to denote that they are under his protection. Sounds like a rather painful way to denote it, but if that means you're under the Phantom's protection, people are going to leave you alone because the way this legacy character works is he has rumored immortality. And so that kind of gives him this mystical ambiance and the way he functions with his almost Tarzan-like skills combined with firearms and some technology, he seems pretty mystical overall. So being protected by that, yeah. Now, there's a story that goes along with the uh, Skull Ring. In the Team Phantom Men story, the Skull Ring was given to the first Phantom by Paraclesis, um, and the original owner of it was Emperor Nero of the Roman Empire. Now, later on, it comes along to that story to where you find out that that Skull Mark Ring was actually made out of the nails that were used to crucify Christ. It's an interesting little tidbit there, and it makes me wonder if the skull might not be a reference to Calvary, or a Golgotha, as it's also known, which translates to Place of the Skull. That could just be me getting all theological on a fandom, which is not uncommon, and yeah, that's just how I roll. And the Goodmark Ring uh, was made after the Sixth Phantom, the Sixth Phantom founded the Jungle Patrol, which is why it's four sabers with the tips touching or interlaced as it were he's got a huge list of enemies over the years um 
the Singh Brotherhood, um, also known as the Sang Brotherhood, and Sang Brotherhood with an E, um, because it was later changed so by the actual original creator with hopes to not offend the Indian population that was reading the things at the time. By Indian, I mean actually India, East Indian population that was reading the comics at the time. And then there's also the Eastern Dark region, known as Dak. Uh, human sacrifices and drug trafficking, which is a really interesting thing. Uh, Baron Grover, terrorist Commander Skull, General Bababu, and, and yeah, that's B-A-B-A-B-U, Bababu, and the International Terrorist Python. Again, there's so many that I can't even begin to list them all off. Some being straight out of the pulps with uh, the idea of gold hand, which is a guy with a gold prosthetic uh, hand. And it's just so interesting. Um, some other uh, interesting details regarding the Phantom is that in the comic strip, it's still considered current status schedule is ongoing. The launch date was February 17th of 1936, and it is still appearing in the comic strips that are put out by the syndicate uh, King Features Syndicate. Um, and Lee Falk stayed on that strip as the writer until his death in 1999. And since then, it's been Mike Manley for the Monday through Saturday, and from 2017 on, it was Jeff Weigel, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, on Sundays. Um, famous authors for the newspaper strip also include Ray Moore, and these are mostly fill-ins, mind you, but Ray Moore... Wilson McCoy, Bill Lignate, Cy Berry, George Olson, Keith Williams, Fred Fredericks, Graham Nolan, Eduardo Barreto, Paul Ryan, and Terry Beatty. So, that's great. And also in the comic strips, you also get Guardian of the Eastern Dark and Man Who Cannot Die as, also, as additional nicknames along with the Ghost Who Walks. So, that being said, I just want to draw some real attention to the Phantom. Now, this reference to the Phantom 90s movie brings into this last little segment that I want to include with this because it's been so long, and I'm going to have to skip episodes to make this all line up. I want to include a little bit of a fond reminiscence slash rant regarding pulp heroes and pulp era heroes, adventure heroes, as it were, um, in films. The 90s had a brief... Uh, resurgence of these and most of them were fantastic um, The Phantom is a great one I absolutely adore the 1990s Shadow movie The Rocketeer is another fun adventure movie it's not quite as well made as say The Shadow or The Phantom but it was a, certainly a fun ride and, and it's one that I absolutely enjoy watching um, then we also have the Mask and Legend of Zorro. Those two movies are both really fun. Um, the Mask is a little bit better than The Legend of, but still, they're fun times. And I, I think it's sad that we got away from that a little bit. As much as I enjoy the modern superhero movies, I, I just want to take a moment to fondly remember these particular movies. The, the, they're the ones that got me really interested in the characters. Mind you, the Phantom action figures I had as a kid are what got me interested in the Phantom back in the day. I've known of the Phantom longer than I have the Shadow. 
but those were just so fun to play with, and, and the superheroes are just so fun from an adventure stance. There's no super complex ongoing stories in most cases, although you get some really great arcs in all of these. Um, once you learn the origins, the origin's just there. Um, I just recently found out in the Shadow Radio Show, um, season, well not season two, but volume two that I got, which was from ten years after it was released originally. Uh, the, the first episode aired ten years before that, and I was ten years into it, and it released finally. There was a Hindu uh, manuscript that actually taught him the art of invisibility and hypnotism. So, you know, you got that going on. But all these characters are just so fun. They're so full of adventure and life. And they're just very, very interesting. Um, Doc Savage is another good one, but I've yet to see a Doc Savage movie. Which I'm telling you, someone needs to get on it. I don't care who. Someone. Okay, not Michael Bay. But still, other than Michael Bay, I don't care who. Someone needs to get on that. Um... But all these pulp heroes in the 90s films, they had one thing going for them that you don't see in other superhero movies. A sense of boy's own adventure, and I know that's not an inclusive term, but it's a term that's semi-common. It's an idiom, as it were. Maxim, maybe. But anyway, the thing of it is that this idea of boy's own adventure is that it, it allows you to just be liberated and freed, and you can enjoy it, and you can watch the stories and just have a good fun time with them. The stakes are often high, the action is often melodramatic, as well as just the basic acting. There's always a system to it, you know, you got the guy, you got the woman, you got the this, you got that. All of it comes together into just an adventure story that is simple and fun and earnest. And they portray virtues that you don't see in the dark and gritty superhero movies. They have a sense of honesty and cleanliness that you don't see in most of the modern movies by the time you calculate in language and innuendo. I mean, and I'm going to say this, and this will probably be the closest thing I get to a legit swear word here, but, I mean, Loki refers to um, Black Widow, Natasha, as it were, as a simpering quim. And now, if you don't know what that is, look it up. It's not a word I use regularly. In fact, the only time I ever use it is usually when I'm defining it or ranting about its usage. Because it's just like that. So if you want to look that up, you can. It's a pretty old archaic terminology, which fits within the Asgardian language. But yeah, it's pretty nasty. In fact, the first time I heard it, it's like they let him get away with that in a movie geared towards early teens and kids. Yeah. But you don't see that kind of stuff too often in these pulp uh, movies. In fact, I didn't know it, but the uh, the Shadow movie is the movie that introduced me to uh, Sir Ian McKellen. Didn't know it. Because he is so engrossed in that character. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because you've been listening for so long already. And I just wanted to have an extra little bit in there for those that missed the short episodes. And with that, I'm going to Bid you a good night, good day, whichever time you're listening to this at, um, and remind you to keep your rings charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky.
Thank you for listening to the Kills and Lantern podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to give us a like, share, and subscribe, and potentially even a review on any of the podcast host services that you find us on. That really helps our spread. Now, if you want to participate in uh, any fun discussion, check out our Facebook group. That's Kilted Lantern Podcast Facebook group. Or the Kilted Lantern Podcast Facebook page if you're just looking for updates and some random silliness from time to time. We also now have a blog page that will also help us keep the podcast and blog all in one general area, as well as any other podcast projects that I happen to have coming up. That's tiltedlantern.wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E, dot com, slash tiltedlantern. And that tiltedlantern is spelled exactly as it sounds, all one word. You can contact us through the Wixsite page, Facebook Messenger, or even emailing directly through tiltedlantern at gmail.com. Any of the intellectual properties brought forth are used without permission and are all rights reserved to those who own the copyrights. And any of the thoughts or opinions are those that are brought up by the guest or the host and are owned entirely by them. Again, I'd like to thank you all for listening, so please, again, keep your rings charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky.